Welcome to Teaching Brute. Today, we're going to be talking to Catherine and Teresa about music and ensemble music within their classrooms. They've done quite a bit of what they call passing the baton uh, to their students and getting their students to lead and inquire, and they are not the sage on stage in their classroom. So we're going to find out a little bit more from them. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, why don't we just start with getting you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background, like why you decided that your students needed to have a little bit more voice. Catherine, do you want to go first? Sure. So I am a K-5 general music teacher in the Chicagoland area. Um, this is my 20th something year of teaching. Um, and uh, let's see, I am ORF certified. Um, uh, and I guess so for me, like in the classroom, it was seeing kids ask me questions like, is this right? Is this the answer you want? Is this what, is this the right thing to do? You know, instead of um, trusting their own instincts and it would just seem like it was, everything was about the teacher. And for me, that's, you know, not the learning that I want for my kids, but I want them to, you know, discover and have that learning for themselves and have that confidence in themselves. So for me, that was something like, I've got to change something because that's, that's not what I want for my kids. Mm -hmm. Teresa? All right. Well, I am I'm currently a middle school band director, so I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade band and a guitar class, although um, I, th I think I'm going into year 19, and I've, I've done a little bit of everything, beginning band, high school band, choir, orchestra, general music, you name it. Um, and similar to Catherine said, I just felt like I felt like there was there was more to what I was doing. I mean, I, I felt like I was I was being the band director that I had grown up to see and to and to emulate. But at the same time, like the kids were just they were simply doing what I told them. They weren't actually making any of their own music. So when I started to to look beyond just standing in front of my band and conducting and, and thinking about how the kids could make more of those choices, it just became a lot more fun. I mean, as me being a band director, I know that we can be very traditional in the way that we do things. I think I've said, I think I've been politically correct on that. Um, and so it like when you first started, you know, getting students more involved and stuff like that, what were your colleagues thinking? Like, did they think that you'd completely lost it? Or was it one of those things of like, she's being so lazy, she's not doing the work herself anymore? <laughs> like, what, what was the reaction? Um, for me in, in the band room, they, yeah, they thought I was crazy, especially because, you know, usually you, you walk by a band room and you see all the kids sitting in rows and they're all facing the conductor and they're all playing the same thing at the same time. And, but it's, I started kind of straying from that. And you might see two kids in one corner working on something and three kids somewhere else working on something else. And you would just see children kind of scattered around the room. And you would, if you didn't know what you were listening to, you would just hear noise. <laughs> A lot of noise. I was going to say, like, was it just chaos? <laughs> Yeah. Is it one of those things, like, if the principal it, walked by, would it be one of those things of, like, oh, my gosh, there's clearly no teacher in that room right now? <laughs> but at the same time, like, I knew exactly what they were all doing. And I knew. And, yeah, every once in a while, you would hear a squawk of a saxophone and some kids would start giggling. And, like, that that happens. But 
for the most part. That happens even in those perfect (laughs) rows, everybody playing the same thing at the same time. And then somebody's going to honk. Yeah. And I think for me, it's um, the colleagues would see, I mean, we, we get to put kids on stage. And so when they would see a kid who struggles in other things and then just shine in something because we found that just right thing for that child, whether it was, you know, the behind the scenes using the iTunes and the musical or like, you know, doing the lighting or something like seeing those kids that are, that you know, have trouble and are just, you know, doing their thing. And pe- that I think that hurts people because they're like, wow, look how. Um, invested that kid is that kid I can't get that kid to you know sit down in science class but look how invested they are so they start to see you know the kids passions come out and then I think they realize it's more than just a loud classroom so Catherine in your uh, lower elementary or primary I'm not sure which term you guys use but in those those little classes the pint-sized people, do they have just as much input as you do with your older students? Yeah, I miss those little so bad. I miss the little faces. Gosh, but yes, like um, we do things as little as like when we sat, when we next, I can't wait to be able to sit in a circle with them again, but we go around and say, sing hello to everybody. And mm-hmm. after about a month or two, I, they start to sing my part. And so I'll ask, like, would somebody like to be the leader and, and be the teacher and sing, you know, sing the greeting song? And they take that with such pride. And we make sure every student that wants to do that gets to do that. So when they're ready and you can tell that they're responding the way, you know, they're maybe you're using a singing voice and things like that, then I just pass it on to them. So that's like just a little daily thing to like. Um, we have a kindergarten spring sing and we turn it into a informant. So we invite the families into the classroom. And again, I sit with the kids and say, okay, it's March. And we have, you know, what are some things we've done in music class that we can share with our parents? And then they brainstorm a whole lot of things. And I tell them like, friends, I want to make sure we show our steady beat and our singing voice and, you know, some of the standards I have for them, but then we kind of fit in their ideas. And then if we have like three singing activities, we vote and, but like they come up with the whole thing. Um, and just this last year I had them, like, I made sure every child, um, said something about their learning in the slideshow. So we were a week ready to do that. And then we went, <laughs> we went into our quarantine. And so I was just able to turn it into like a keynote and send it out through the parents, like through our learning management system. And at least the kids could still share what they had prepped with their parents. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, kindergarten kids can stay on task and can create a whole program. Um, so they can do it too. That's awesome. Yeah. I got to say like, Hats off to you. I started my career down in kindergarten. Uh, well, actually, I started my career down in toddler land. So my first job was teaching 18 months to five-year-olds. Oh. You know, like the five-year-olds were so mature. Um, <laughs> and that's where I started. And then I got away from that for about 10 years when I was teaching in the Middle East and then in, and uh, the beginning of my time in Hong Kong. And last year I went back and just just for the year... I was teaching K to eight and man, 
I totally forgot what teaching kindergarten <laughs> grade one were like. And on that very first day, and I had one kindergartner going like, can I go to the bathroom? And it was like, oh, yeah, sure. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. You probably need a buddy to go with you because we're in a completely different area of the school than you normally are in. And yeah. then I had like 15 others that also wanted to go to the bathroom <laughs> at the same time. And it was like, oh, rookie mistake. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they were, you know, such a fun group. They turned everything into a game. There was, you know, I always had a smile on my face with those guys. Mm-hmm. Super cute. Super cute. Um, you had mentioned, uh, like, standards and stuff like that. Do you both follow the NAFMA standards? Yes, but my state also has their own standards. <laughs> so you get to follow two sets of standards. I you do. get double the fun. I know, I know. Um, I I kind of prefer the NAFME standards. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Won't tell anybody. <laughs> secret safe. Won't tell anybody at all. <laughs> like, um, it's just a secret between you and the 5,000 listeners we've got. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Most of them aren't music teachers, so they're just going to be like, okay, (laughs) yeah, it's fine. Um, So within the book, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, giving processes over to the students and allowing the students to have more input and things like that. I know that the first time that I looked at the standards and I had to start teaching with the standards, I was overwhelmed And it was just like, oh my gosh, I need to do all of this? How? Like, is it actually possible to hit all of those standards while giving the students the agency to do their thing and to empower them? Can you actually do that? (laughs) I mean... I think yes, because they actually, they, they go really well together since the standards are so focused on that process and it's Mm -hmm. focusing on the kids doing it where I feel like, you know, the old standards were very much students must sing. They must play instruments. They must compose, you know, things that they have to do. Whereas with the new ones, it's a lot more, you know, what what are the words like uh, select, analyze, you know, refine, respond. And all of those action items are things that the kids should be doing when they are empowered and when they when they have that agency over the process. So no longer is it, you know, Teresa spending all of this time selecting the music and analyzing it and going through all of that. It's the kids need to make sure they have part in that process. Yeah. And I think too, we, we read that or think like, oh my gosh, they're going to have to make all the programs. And it's like, no, I mean, even with my kindergarten program, I mean, I put in their little brains and said, you know, anything we've done in our, in class. So I had already made this parameter of like, you know, we're not, we can't, we're going to do something that we've done in music class. So for me, anything they pick, we, you know, we've done that. We, we've did, we do meaningful things in class. So it's going to be something that's going to fit right with what I want them to do. So I feel like even if we're having them select repertoire, it may not mean the entire, you know, your whole entire band repertoire, but you might give them a way to do one selection or a couple selections or something. Right. So, um, yeah, for me, I think when I broke down the, cause I think they're overwhelming too, but when you break down the action words and you just look at the action words in the sentence or in the standards, it, it doesn't seem so overwhelming. 
Mm-hmm. So with the teachers that are starting to do that, um, or if they are in parts of the world, like I'm in Asia, and it's still very much, um, this, uh, there's a lot of families here who still expect things to be uh, teacher-directed, sage-on-stage kind of learning. The students are waiting to be spoon-fed everything. There is a right answer. There is a wrong answer. There is no in-between. How would you go about starting off those classrooms so that the students move away from sitting there perfectly silent, you know, perfectly attentive, and start contributing and start thinking? Because I know that my first year in Hong Kong, those kids had never had any sort of inquiry. And I went in and I was like asking questions and stuff like that. And I had these little faces who were sitting there and staring at me. No hands were going up. Nobody was calling out. And finally, after about like 15 very agonizing minutes on my part, I had one brave little soul raise his hand and say, but teacher, we need to know what the right answer is. <laughs> and that just floored me. I was kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, like, I'm way ahead of you guys. We need to back up many steps and and learn about how to do this. So what would be your advice? How did you get started getting your kids to open up more and think a little bit more to be able to reach these new standards? I mean, the biggest thing is to take really little steps and also know that you're going to you're going to mess up. You're going to make a mistake or make a mistake. And it's not a mistake though. It's just something's not going to go well and you're going to reflect on it and revise and and go back. I mean, one of the things that we we talk about a lot in the book on the kids part is having to reflect on where they are so that the the, the kids do that for themselves so that they know how to move forward. But you're going to have to do that in your classroom too. Like I think someone who's looking to start off has to really think about, okay, where are we right now? And if, if where you are is all of the kids sitting silently in rows looking for that right answer, okay, you really, really have to start, start basic. And I think with music, the first thing we can show them is that there isn't one right answer. Yeah. You know, experiencing things different ways and then just asking them to, them to think, which one did you prefer? Which one was more fun to you? Which one did you like more? Um, and maybe maybe asking them and trying to get kids to raise their hand and volunteer isn't going to get a response. But what if you gave every kid a sticky note and just told them to like write it down and stick it on the wall on their way out the door? That way they're still mm-hmm. giving their input, but it's not like they don't have to be on the spot as they do it, you know, or you, right. you do like a, a Google form or some kind of something so that they can at least make that decision and make that choice, but not feel self-conscious about it. Yeah. And I think for me too, because I do see the littles and I think most of the time, little people are very willing to try and do everything until they get to like third grade and then it somehow flips, you know, and they, but um, just constantly modeling in my classroom that I don't know everything. I make mistakes and sometimes mistakes turn into wonderful accidents, happy accidents. And just you model all of those things of like, Oh, I got it wrong. That's just feedback. That means I need to practice that, or I need to do this, or, you know, I, or I don't know this very well. And I think you just kind of start to develop that, 
culture very slowly. Cause like you said, if their, if their culture is, or if their experience in school is something very different, it's going to, this isn't going to happen overnight and that's okay. But I think, um, yeah, all those things, modeling. And also like, I think it's so valuable for kids to like, um, hear you say that their ideas are worthy. I think some kids like are so afraid to try something because, well, I'm just going to have a dumb answer, you know? And that's like, mm-hmm. breaks my heart. It's like, they're, like Teresa said, there, you know, if you do something that there is no wrong answer, like there is no wrong answer, you know, share. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the genius hour people, it might be AJ Giuliani, but I can't remember who talks about it, but they, they, they will often refer to the bad idea factory. And they tell the kids that they want them to come up with as many bad ideas as they can. And from that often will come this good idea of something they want to move forward with. So I wonder if that could even be a way, if you preface it as like, let's think of all the really bad ways we could sing this song. (laughs) And then... I mean, and, and, and you know what? Grade ones would be all over that. Right. But I wonder if that would just kind of get them, okay, like you're setting the precedent that it's not supposed to be right. It's not supposed to be, you're, you're giving them that idea that this is, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it would work or not. Somebody yeah, can well, teach his grade well, one. It, let me know. <laughs> it would certainly also potentially work in beginning band too. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want a big, loud, ugly sound. Yes. Yes. You know, and then we can go from there. And just sharing, there are like uh, books out there sharing like mistakes and inventions that went the wrong way, but then we invented this fantastic thing from it. And of course I can't think of a single one of the examples that, or just like sharing, you know, a composer who it took, you know, three years to finish his symphony or whatever it is. I mean, helping them see that, um, there's failure in everything. And sometimes we forget to show them that. And so they think yeah. like, like they listen to a CD and they think, well, that person is such a good singer. They sing it perfectly. Well, yeah, probably they didn't, you know, take it in one track, you know, in one sitting. Yeah. So we skipped and those these stuff. days. It was all auto-tuned anyway. Yeah. Exactly. With filters, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I think um, besides, oh, besides just even like talking about, making mistakes and like not having a right answer, just giving the kids starting with real simple choice. Like, Hey, should we do this warm up or this warm up today? Or should we do this song or this song, giving them those little choices. And then maybe after you've done that a bunch, the next class, open it up. What should we start with today? You know, it's not, do you want to do this song, this song, or is there something else you would want? Just so they can start thinking about like, what do they like? What do they prefer? What do they want to do? And just little, little incremental choices that they can make for themselves. I think highlighting the fact that you have to go slow and you have to do it, you know, bit by bit is super important. Um, I know that there are those of us who are conference geeks <laughs> and, you know, we, we go to a conference and this happens like through all of the genres of education but you go to a conference, you get super inspired, you get super excited, and you're like, I'm going to do all the things on Monday morning. Um, and inevitably, you get in and you try to do all the things on Monday morning. <laughs> and, you know, two weeks later, you're not doing any of it. No. <laughs> because it was just, it was too much, too fast. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, and I have to keep reminding myself this, it's like, 
can't do all the things, can't implement all the changes. Yes, that's a very good idea. Put that on the calendar for semester two. Yes, that's a very good idea. Put that one on the calendar for next year. Um, You know, baby steps, little by little, can't do it all at once. That's like, has to be my mantra. (laughs) Yes. And it's also because it takes a long time because you have to teach them every little thing. I mean, uh, conflict resolution, like when you put them in small groups, if they're not used to that, like you've got to teach them how, okay, so if we disagree, what are we going to do? You know? And so I just, I found there's so many little nuances and some classes come in and they're ready to do those activities with me because that's kind of how their classroom is set up. And some other classrooms, it just isn't set up that way. And so they're just not used to it. And you're like, okay, I got to take a couple steps back here because we've got to go through all of these expectations and, um, and just learn how, how to work together in a group. That's all we have time for today. We're going to continue our conversation with Teresa and Catherine about how to pass that baton over to your students in your music classroom. See you next week.